Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday, October 25th, 2020. Happy birthday, Pepper. Pepper is one month old. Yes. Well, the thing with Pepper is what I'm beginning to realize as we head to Halloween is that uh, that girl is going to have no problem having any um, Halloween costumes. Already there is talk that all she has to do is put on a pair of uh, white pants-looking uh, items and uh, oh, red, red pants-looking items. She's a red Pepper, yes. right? right? And so this is it. So once she starts going, it's going to be red Pepper one year, green Pepper the next, habanero the next Pepper, you know, the next year. Jalapeno. She's all set, right? Great, Dan. Okay. What a resource she has in a grandfather like you. Well, she certainly does. I'm thinking ahead. This is fabulous. She's got it made. Okay, so we miss Pepper terribly. But we're going to, But that doesn't... I guess it is keeping her awake at night. (laughs) I guess that is keeping her awake. That must be the problem. Something's keeping her awake. (laughs) She's crying mournfully for her grandparents. That's what it must be. Uh, so we had a nice drive yesterday. Yeah. It might have been the peak for leaf peeping yeah. yes. right. in northern New Jersey. We took a drive through New Jersey. And let me explain one thing to you. Oh, good. <laughs> New Jersey is beautiful. It is beautiful. It's it very, was shocking. That's why I spent top dollar on real estate in this state for you, honey. Because it's beautiful. You know, you drive... Uh, I think a lot of people just think, uh, you know, New Jersey is what they see from the turnpike. It's really an amazing state. You know, you know we, we were glorying in the seashore uh, this summer. And, uh, you know, you just go on a, a drive. Townsend, even this time of year, it doesn't even look too bad from the turnpike, honestly. It's, uh, there's a lot of color out there. Yeah, it's but just, I mean, we were, we were near, you know, just countryside, yeah. farmland. very nice. Um, yeah. Horse farms, Pennsylvania, pumpkin farms. Pennsylvania is nothing to sneeze at. Beautiful here. lakes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very nice. Nice state. Right. Okay, I have a few updates. Yeah, I didn't think you wanted, you had a rant. You were gonna, no, you no, were... no, I'll get to the rant. Okay, go ahead. First, your... first of all, the update. Yeah. Okay, right. turkey update. I mean, last week I was spreading the rumor suggested to me by the New York Times that there, there may not be free turkeys at your grocery store mm-hmm. this uh, Thanksgiving period. But uh, I noticed that uh, ShopRite's been running a bunch of ads saying we will be giving free turkeys. Yeah, good news. So I guess ShopRite is listening to the podcast. Well, no question about that. Well, this is, that's, uh, this so is there not, you have that. Not in the New York Times wheelhouse. I wouldn't so expect no worries about Great. that. Good news. Don't free buy your turkey. Do you, do you frozen? Eat, well, do you use the New? You don't. You don't. You don't. We don't have the uh, free turkey from ShopRite. I have used it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I thought you bought you it. You grind from... that sucker and it tastes darn good. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you got it somewhere else. No, right? I usually stand online for a local turkey. Yeah, but... that, that's the truth. Be honest with folks here. You go to a local uh, turkey no, place. No, I like a free turkey. I can <laughs> do stuff with a free turkey. Okay, all right, good. Um, and uh, what, oh, you know, here's what I wanted to rant about. Yes. Halloween decorations. Get it off your chest. What is ha- it? I love Halloween decorations. But? I love them all. I love the pumpkins. I love the corn stalks. I love the mums. Yeah. I love the inflatables. Mm. I love the whole genre with one exception. What's that? What is the deal with the stupid fake spiderweb crap? Mm. Where they have like the cotton wool stretched out mm. over some bushes. Mm. I mean, it looks 
stupid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like spider webs. No. It's not spooky. No. You know, if anything, it looks like gypsy moth nests. It does or look something. like gypsy moth nests. It, but that's but that's damn awful. scary. That it gypsy is an moth insult. stuff is bad news. You what? know, the people who live here at Primrose, yeah. right? We have seen some spectacular spider webs. Right. We have some these are, master These are real spiders. Webs, but done by okay? real spiders though. These, these Stupid things that people are throwing on their bushes and their limitations. porches. It's an insult. It's an insult. It's an to, insult to, to spiders the, everywhere. To the arachnid to, to, to the population. Population, or as we yes. like to call, it, arachnid nation. The arachnid nation. Yeah, they're misrepresented by this All kind right, of thing. Forget it. You know, go out and get yourself a nice inflatable. Exactly. You know, forget about that uh, stupid. I'm with you. Uh, yeah. So you were going to start talking about Iceland. I'm looking forward to this because I can't imagine what. Under the sun is new to say about the fact that tourism is down. But go ahead. Here's your chance. Iceland. No, it's just Iceland's story is kind of nice. I mean, Iceland went from, uh, you know, zero to hero in terms of tourism in just a couple of years. Uh, Their tourism went from like 400 and some thousand in 2010 to 2.3 million in 2018. Mm, Okay. Helped. Not in the least, yeah. all right, or greatly helped, I should say, by a Justin Bieber music video. Oh, really? Okay. And then suddenly people were coming to uh, go to that location. But it really has, you know, increased and it's done a great deal for their economy. It's also done some damage, okay, and some of these sites were not really prepared for people mm-hmm. and they need infrastructure. They need, you know, parking spots, toilets, walkways, so that uh, you know, Iceland's a beautiful place. I mean, our friends have been touting it to us for years. You remember Virginia Bean? Mm-hmm. Uh she did a photo book. Uh, she yes. She shot uh, photographs there in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. So she was touting that then. And then we have a friend, Perry Stave, who's mm-hmm. been going there for years. And suddenly in the past couple of years, we have family members, Sean, Lorna, you know, um, our friend Tom Lee, his family, all these people have been to Iceland raving about it. Okay. Um, so it's, it's become a thing. Right. And yet, uh, like everything else, it kind of collapsed right. with the coronavirus. Although it wasn't doing badly. It actually wasn't doing badly at the beginning of the summer. Mm. And then poof. Okay. The uh, government changed their um, quarantine policies and said that you had to be tested X many times and quarantined as a result, or you just, anybody coming into the country had to be quarantined, uh, self-quarantined for 14 days. And that put everything to a blind and halt. Hmm. All right. So that's too bad. But the one clever thing that Iceland is doing is, in the meanwhile, they are investing heavily in that infrastructure that they lacked uh, for all these sites. So there, you know, there are the normal popular sites, what they call the Golden Circle, um, and then there are other places that people are discovering on their own and then spreading around uh, via social media. And uh, they are poised for a um, real comeback. I mean, tourism is part of what helped uh, Iceland recover after the 2008 mm-hmm. financial uh, crisis. Yeah. Um, so they're looking forward to that. And they, they feel they, uh, you know, they're it's ready. got open spaces, right. 
fresh air, places to hike, to cycle, etc. So we're going. Uh, if that's what it's about, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. So go Iceland. All right. So here's talking about go. How, how about go Wienermobile? And of course, what I'm talking about is the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Some of you oh, know. is that what you're talking about? That is what I'm talking about. What else could I be talking about? That is the vehicle in the shape of a hot dog. That's right. A vehicle in the shape of a hot dog. Uh, I think we all have a mental picture of what the Wienermobile is. I'd like to think so. Okay. Uh, And uh, apparently that uh, this year they were thinking of uh, stopping the program or pausing the program, things being the way they are. And then they said, what? The world needs more Wienermobiles to, you know, raise the uh, spirit of the entire country. I think that's true. I was telling you the story of growing up as a young child. Yes. We used to go from Maryland to New Jersey mm-hmm. to visit my grandparents at all the holidays and, mm-hmm. you know, fairly frequently. And uh, one day we were driving up and there was in a hotel parking lot along the road, maybe Route 40 or whatever it was, uh, a Wienermobile. And I was delighted. That's something fun to see. And subsequently, I would look for it on every trip. Yes. And my parents would patiently explain to me, no, the Wienermobile doesn't live there. That was just lucky. And nonetheless, for years, it was just, I was looking for that Wienermobile. Poor little town. So I understand. It does cheer a person up. Spending her whole life. So let's get that Wienermobile out on the road. Looking for a Wienermobile. Well, the the fact is that, yeah, I mean, there's not much uh, to say about this, except it's been a tremendous success. It always gets a great response. Although there is a little disappointment. The Wienermobile is not stocked with actual hot dogs. That's a common misconception. People knock on the door and say, can I get a hot dog? You cannot get a hot dog from the Wienermobile. But they have all kinds of swag that they give out uh, as a memorabilia so you can tell your friends that you saw the actual Wienermobile. So it's something to... uh, Well, there was one older lady who asked her daughter to get her a a Wiener whistle. A Wiener whistle. And her daughter thought... This is a product of the dementia that my mother has been suffering. And when she mentioned the wiener, she sort of abashedly said, you don't have something like a wiener whistle, do you? They said, oh, yeah, here it is, the wiener whistle. Yes. And it was a great moment. Put it in your mouth and blow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then she uh, gave it to her grandmother and was happy ending to that story. So keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Coming soon to your neighborhood. We can only hope. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Speaking of keeping your eyes open, here's a story about keeping your eyes open from missing artwork. No, it's not. It's not? This is the museum update, fella. What happened to the... uh... I was going to segue into that. Oh, all right. Good. All right. I'll leave it to you. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I know. Another story about... Museums aren't getting that many visitors. Mm. Um, so, so I'll make it brief. Yeah. Okay. Before the pandemic, the Rijksmuseum used to have 10,000 people a day. Now it's down to 800. Wow. And they could, their capacity at whatever the recommended restrictions are, would be 2,500 people a day. They're only getting 800. I, I, you lost people, me. So did you say 10,000 a day at the beginning? Yeah. In, mm-hmm. Back in the day, oh, you oh, could have as many 2,500 people. one time. Okay, yeah. I got so, it. Yeah, I got it. I got not it. at one time, no. Capacity, the reduced capacity according oh, to coronavirus. I see. I'm glad that we clarified Okay. That. 
But they're not even hitting restrictions. That. They're not even hitting. They're that. not even hitting that. Oh my goodness! Okay. That's the point. Yeah, they could it. be getting. They could be accommodating twenty five hundred a day. They have room for they're more only folks. getting eight hundred, and this is true of uh, many many museums, larger and smaller museums. Here they they give the example of across the uh, town, across Amsterdam, the Heritage uh, Amsterdam Museum, uh, used to attract eleven hundred a day. They could have six hundred. Uh, they're only they're only seeing about uh, 300 people. Um, fortunately, in in general, what's going on is that museums will survive that have state funding. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and uh, so that's fine. A lot of these smaller museums, like the Heritage House and uh, Rembrandt House. Um, actually depend on those admission fees mm -hmm. for a much larger percentage of their budget. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of in trouble. Fortunately, some governments like uh, the, um, the Netherlands are providing um, kind of bailouts for those museums. But again, uh, go to the museum. If, you know, it seems like a pain in the butt um, to go to the museum, right? Because you have to get a reservation, and everything like that. I don't know what it is like at the Rijksmuseum. They're trying to encourage... The big problem is foreign tourists. You know that and I know that. Yeah. But sure. uh, all of these uh, countries are trying to lure locals. In mm -hmm. Iceland, for example, there's a big local, a big push for locals to come see the sites. Mm -hmm. Also in Amsterdam, yeah, sure. also Italy. You Obviously, know. it's not succeeding um, entirely. No. Well, the thing is, uh, it's a smaller available group as right. well. So once you've seen it, what are you going to do? Go every day like I would? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, should you get the urge, I, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, well, you got to go to the Met and see this Jacob Lawrence right. exhibition, okay, you of are. the American struggle. Yes. Now, Jacob Lawrence, you remember, is Amer an African-American 20th century painter, okay, um, and he is famous for the Migration Series. This is another series of his, The American Struggle, which he did during sort of during the McCarthy mm -hmm. uh, years. And uh, it really was uh, meant to, you know, it gave a picture. Uh, can I find my quote here? It was really, um, it was a, um, he uh, created it in the midst of the civil rights movement between 54 and 56, presenting a more expansive view of building a democracy that integrated black people, Native Americans, and women in the narrative cycle. So this has been at the Met for a while, uh, since August, mm -hmm. and uh, it's only going to be there for another week, mm -hmm. sadly. Uh, but... Um, Somebody went to it, and there uh, there are a few panels missing, okay? When he originally painted it, it didn't find a buyer right away. It was sold to a private collector who, you know, kind of broke up uh, the set, sold uh, some of the pieces um, individually rather than keeping right. the series together. So, you know, some have kind of, some of those pieces have disappeared. And there was a blank space on the wall. A woman sees this, and she says, you know, you know, reading the story, paying attention, thinking about it, she says, that looks familiar, okay? I think my neighbors have that painting. And she goes to them, and by George, they do. Right. And, and they sort of know it, 
Okay. But they at bought this point. they bought it. They didn't steal it. No, they did not steal it. They bought it um, fifty years ago. They oh, bought really? it when they bought. They bought it in the sixties. All right. Okay. So that's more than fifty years ago. It's Sixty years, years ago. Oh, 50, okay. 60, yeah. Um, and they bought it at a charity auction. Oh, really? And the woman. When, when they bought it, the woman was 27 years old. Oh. Imagine having the good taste right. to buy that when you're 27. Okay. And I guess it didn't cost terribly much uh, no, I either. So. Right. And anyway, they had heard about this exhibition okay, at, previously. And they had a feeling that uh, this painting was uh, one of the missing ones. But they were on their way to Florida for the uh, winter, and they just, uh, you know, forgot, you know, just didn't deal with it. But they eventually did, did talk to the Met about it. And Actually, they didn't talk to the Met about it. They hired somebody to help them talk to the Met about oh, it. Oh, you're kidding me. Why? No, because it all gets very, you know, legal and complicated, and we got a lot of money here. So a, a, a panel from this series, they also, the great thing about having this exhibition was yeah. uh, another panel came to light. And I think there are still four missing or yeah. something. There's still several missing. And they're hoping that this publicity will bring those to light. Right. Another came to light. It had been sold at auction for $400,000. Right. So this is a chunk of change. You want to be careful how you handle this situation. So what happens is, though, they authenticate it. And they actually put it on display at the Met, I assume. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Which that, is so cool. And they said that um, it, it actually is in very good condition. If it had been in the living room of smokers on the right. Upper West Side, right. uh, it would not be going straight out into right. uh, view. So very exciting. It's actually the depiction of Shay's Rebellion, mm -hmm. uh, where some uh, disgruntled farmers are um, rebelling against uh, the army. Okay. But, uh, so, you know, how, how cool of a story is it that? Is That's just kind of fun. You, you're at an exhibition, you say, ooh, I know where that painting is. Well, it's is. even stranger that you, you say, a friend of mine, I think they have that. I think that's in their living And then room. you get there and they say, yeah, we, we think we have it. Yeah. What are you doing? It's right next to the Bruegel. It's over there <laughs> in, in, over the fireplace. Uh, so, no, they are not art collectors. Okay. They are not art collectors. Right. Just one of those things, maybe. like maybe you should have looked more carefully at your parents' <laughs> my parents' I collection. So. I don't think so. Before the uh, garage sale. Yeah. Uh, World Series. People are dying to hear uh, your take, Tamsin. Uh, our take collectively on the World Series, which is a very interesting World Series. You got the Dodgers from Los Angeles versus the Tampa Bay Rays, and it is now two to two. Why is that interesting? Here's why it's interesting. I'm glad you asked. Uh, because baseball has become strangely a somewhat intellectual game. It's not to see the ball, hit the ball. People are Is intellectual all, code no, intellectual, code for boring? No, it's code for intellectual. Okay. Which for you might be code for boring, but for me mm -hmm. is stimulating. And, mm -hmm. and here, here's, mm -hmm. let me give you two pieces of evidence on it, or two, two points on that. Number one, number one, you know, you have sabermetrics, you have a more of a quantitative approach to things, a more analytical approach to things. There is no better proof of the prevailing uh, success utility success of sabermetrics than this the uh, which all, team the four no all four teams who made it to the semifinals so they are sabermetric teams yeah just let me finish the sentence okay okay it's it's Houston it's Tampa Bay and it's the Dodgers and it's the Atlanta Braves it turns out the general manager of each team once all worked together they were at one unit they were all Tampa Bay together and they were headed by this guy, Andrew Friedman, who ran Tampa Bay. Okay. He left and went to the Dodgers. And one of the guys stayed and became the head of Tampa Bay. And the other two 
went to, on the one hand, Atlanta, and on the other hand, Houston. So these guys all shared an office at one point. They all have the same sabermetric perspective, and now they're running the best teams in the country, and they're running them with this quantitative perspective. The only problem with it is they make mistakes. It doesn't always work out. And you're thinking along with them, and the Dodgers lost the game last night because they were too cute. They took out the pitcher after three innings, which you would never do in the history of baseball until uh, 18 months ago. It was considered crazy. And they got to the ninth inning, and they did all kinds of nutty things. They had moved people around so that when they started the ninth inning, they had the third string center fielder in center field. They took out the guy who finished the eighth inning, who's, who's throwing fine to put in their closer. They had, uh, you know, kind of fussed with things in a funny way. Uh, so sure enough, uh, they had men on base with one out or two outs. Two outs in the ninth inning. The Dodgers one out from seizing control of the series three to one. This guy, Rosarena, comes up who's just been hot for two weeks. He's not a great player. They pitch to him like he's Willie Mays. They walk him. That means that <laughs> the guy on first is now in scoring position on second. I mean, if he they've given up a single to Rosarena, no big deal. But now you've got a man on second. That, come, that leaves it to a guy who's batted about 12 times in the major leagues, never batted really before in any uh, particularly important spot. Young kid falls behind because the umpire makes, misses two calls, and suddenly he's one and two. Dodgers one strike out of way, and the closer inexplicably throws the ball right down the middle. The kid hits a single up the center. The third-string center fielder muffs the ball, and the, and the Rays score two runs and win the game. It's craziness. Wow. Craziness. Uh, let me just... So that was fun, huh? Yeah, it was amazing. It was, some people call it one of the great series games of all times, not just for the ninth inning. Uh, let me just make an observation, which I'm sure you'll appreciate. Okay? In terms of the cities involved, I'm sure you appreciate this. It's... The Dodgers, L.A. Dodgers, well, guess who won the basketball championship the week ago? The L.A. team. Yes. Against Tampa Bay. Guess who won the Stanley Cup three weeks ago? The Ooh, Tampa Bay team. The Tampa Bays. Yes. Yeah. And guess where the Super Bowl is this year? What city? Ah, That's right. Tampa, Tampa Bay. Something's going on here. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm saying. Hmm. So we'll have to see how that works. Anyway, it's a great well, World Well, good Series. for Tampa. Yeah. Yeah, and it's putting Tampa on the map, isn't it? It is. They Especially need in terms of sports. It is, because they draw nobody during <laughs> the normal season. Well, maybe they will now. Uh, you'd hope so, although I wouldn't be surprised if they move in a couple of years. Uh, anyway, great series. Go ahead. Lots of good stuff in the Science Times oh, this course, week. Oh, of course, yes. All right. Here's something that's of great interest to everybody. A possible aid for insomnia. Yeah. Weighted blankets. Oh, I thought it was going to be Tamsin and Dan read the paper. Go I've ahead. never tried a weighted blanket. No, and I've heard so much about it. Really? Yes. And uh, I can't imagine they're that interesting. Um, but it works, huh? Times well, has a study. It, actually, the time. Well, t the Times didn't do a study, but uh, there is a study. It, you know, the, um, insomnia is responsible for a lot of mental health issues. So anything you can do. To improve it. So they did a study of people and one group was using a 18 pound blanket. Mm -hmm. All right. The other group was using a three pound blanket. Right. Okay. And um, more than 42% of those using the heavy blanket scored low enough on the insomnia severity index to be considered in remission from their sleep troubles. 
compared with 3.6% of the control. So that's what's called the triple okay. negative. So what, what you're saying is that the, the weighted blanket helped people with insomnia. Yes. Yeah. How did it help them? No one It knows. did not have a significant effect on total sleep time. Yeah. That's disappointing. But compared with the controls, the three-pound blanket people, the users of the weighted blanket had a significant decrease in wakenings after sleep onset, less daytime sleepiness, and fewer symptoms of depression and anxiety. All right. Well, that's going to sell a lot of weighted blankets. Uh, well, it might. Okay, fine. All right. We have to try that sometime. We haven't tried it. Weighted uh, blankets. The right. latest thing to cure well, you, everything. You have a whole bunch of things in and the science. And then I also have yes, um, another thing that's going on. I don't know if this was in the science times, but it's it's um, it's kind of fun anyway. Is uh, you know pay to dig. You can pay to dig for gems in mines right. around the U.S. Moonstones in Montana, amethysts and emeralds in North Carolina. Gar garnets and quartz in upstate New York. Okay, so, you know, at some places you do it's uh, as cheap as ten dollars a day. Okay, um, at the Herkimer Diamond Mines in central New York. All right, uh, home to an especially clear and unusually hard type of quartz crystal known as the Herkimer Diamond, a fourteen dollar admission price includes a day of prospecting. And rental of a rock hammer, children under four, mine free. Oh! So this seems oh, like... Oh! Now you have me. Another... Children under four, mine free. Fun uh, family outing right. to do. Now that uh, perhaps we're... Well, the rock free. hammer is exciting too. Yeah. Okay, so that there's that. Now, here's another fun thing out of the science time. Yes. And that has to do with um, mapping. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is this is this is really kooky. Pull yourself uh, together. Well, it's just that I don't know who dreams these things up. All right. Um, scientists, Dutch scientists. The Dutch are just nuts, aren't oh. they? I love the Dutch. Uh, the Dutch scientists. They set up a, a um, experiment where uh, the people walked around a room, guided by arrows on the floor moving from table to table on which eight foods were placed. Caramel cookies, apples, chocolate, tomatoes, melons, peanuts, potato chips, and cucumbers. They were instructed to either smell or taste the foods and rate them, okay, uh, in terms of likability. Right. So then later, and, and they, um, they did this by tasting right. or smelling, okay? Then later... Um, what they say after leaving the room, they smelled and tasted the foods again in random order and were asked to locate them on a map of the room they had just traversed. Mm -hmm. Okay, they had much more success mapping the location of the high calorie foods mm -hmm. than the low calorie well, this foods. This is a shock, Tamsin. I'm okay? shocked. I'm shocked. All right. Well, I think this is just, you know, survival of the fittest kind of thing, isn't <laughs> well, the, it? Well, the unfittest, but yes. No, 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 no. You know, um, in evolution, you know, back in the day, yeah. you need the high calorie foods to survive. Yeah. Okay. So your body's engineered to be able to seek out those high calorie foods. 
And uh, so our results seem to suggest that the human minds are adapted to finding energy-rich food in an efficient way. This may have implications for how we navigate our modern food environment. Well, that's a positive I mean, spin on Trust it. the scientists to... Uh, all right, let's let me let me. In other words, we we're pretty good at finding those potato chips, no matter what, right? Let me, go, let me just extend a little bit. Not to mention the caramel cookies. Let's go from the uh, from science to uh, to cars, which is pretty close anyway. New developments, innovative cars, and let's go particularly to the Swedes. I'll tell you right now, if you want to be the you know the person who's in the know with respect to automotive developments and knows the hot car going forward. The answer is in one word, a word you haven't heard before. It's Polestar. I've heard that word. No, that's because I told you this afternoon. But No, the, it's, a, it's a word, Dan. Okay. Okay. Well, it's a word that now applies to cars. I didn't know cars. it was a product. Well, now you know. Now okay. everyone knows. Polestar. Polestar um, is, or is a new division. It's a joint venture between the Swedish uh, Volvo company on the one hand and the uh, Geely uh, Chinese automotive company. Uh, and uh, they have come out with two uh, vehicle models. They're both a, a tad experimental. One is the Polestar 1, which uh, Dan Neal in the Wall Street Journal describes as the world's most beautiful hybrid. Uh, it is a plug-in uh, hybrid of the sort oh, that Zcash. Plug-in hybrid. And uh, it is, he goes on and on. Exulting about this beautiful car, which is a two-door car. How much does car, it cost? And it costs $155,000. So my interest <laughs> in this car is kind of limited. And as a matter of fact, the plug-in hybrid is not considered the future. It's sort of a bridge, if you will. So that's not so sexy either. But everything else about that car, this car is spectacular. Why would they design a car that costs that much? It's good because, you know something, it is just, I wouldn't call it it's not a lost leader, but it's sort of the... Uh, just a fun the, thing it's, to do? It's the face of the brand. But it's not, it's not really going to be the car that's going to sell. And they know that. It's to attract attention. The car that's going to sell is the car that's called the Polestar 2. And that's what the Times is writing about. Okay. And they describe it as an electric sedan that is a Viking in sheep's clothing. They, too, think this is a beautiful car. This is a car which runs uh, on energy in the same way that the Tesla does and is designed to, to compete with the Tesla that's a range of 275 miles. You know, you plug it in the same way you plug in a Tesla. But it is supposed to be a fantastic performer. It's supposed to be a beautiful car, unlike the Polestar 1, where just a few, a handful of vehicles are being made. There are now four dealerships, uh, deal, dealerships in four cities, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco. I should say three cities. But that's going to expand pretty quickly. And this car costs $61,000. And this car is really geared to give Tesla a run for its money. And it is a rave review in the Times. I think, frankly, notwithstanding they're expanding the dealerships, uh, it's going to be hard to get your hands on this car for the next uh, year or maybe even two years. Maybe the second year you'll be so able to get it. So you're just teasing me. I'm not teasing you. I'm telling you what the new thing is. I like you to know. You, I know you want it. Even be. though I'll never get it. No, I wouldn't say you never get it. But, but it's not a plug-in. No. It, you recharge no. it. Well, you recharge it in the yeah. same way you recharge a Tesla. But it is the car people would be pointing to. And even if we needed a car right now, we wouldn't be looking at this because it's really not generally available. But this fellow who writes the article says, and again, this is the $61,000 car, not $155,000. He's in L.A. And he says, um, 
This car garnered much attention in LA in the weekend's driving. My test vehicle was noticed multiple times, including by several people who flagged me down to discuss the car. I received more attention in the pole store in two days than I did in a week of driving in Aston Martin in a Lamborghini. <laughs> so there you go, Tim. The $60,000. Yep. Okay, more from the Science Times. Yes, let's get back to that. This whole segment is science, as far as I'm concerned. There was an article about phys ed. Yeah. And vigorous workouts. Yes. And they they still are thinking that those interval workouts... Right. H-I-I-T. Yes. High intensity. Are best for you. Yes. Like you work really hard, and then you rest, and then you work really hard, and then you rest. And they say that's much better for you than... Long, slow Long, workers. sustained, right. lower intensity. Right. That's sort of disappointing because we did a long, sustained, lower intensity we workout mix today. We mix it up. I don't know. Anyway, turns out that uh, most people don't want to do those. The HIIT. Yes. Yeah. And if they try it, mm-hmm. turns out it's not so bad. What do you mean it's not so bad? They don't people like it. it. People yeah. like it, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But uh, they also say that people don't keep doing it. Yeah. So... I mean, I could give you the whole survey thing, but that's what it comes down to, is that, uh, you know, it's not so bad when you do it, but people don't do it. So it doesn't do them any good. Yeah, all right. So if uh, I, you know, it gives me the feeling that low intensity for a long period of time that actually people do is better. Well, you know, when we used to to go to practice Theoretically, this would be good for you, but if no one does it, it's not good for you. We used to train for rowing and... uh, this was a Scandinavian method, I think it was described, but who really knows. And they were called fartleks, believe it or not. And what you would do was you would row at a fairly steady pace, and then you'd go into a sprint of 10 strokes, and then right. back down. And then you'd go a sprint of 20. But rowing is already down. hard. I understand. But, I mean, that was this is going back a few years. Yeah. And there was an appreciation that what you really want to do is mix it up. I do that once in a while. Yeah. But, again, my point is, if people don't do it, it's no good for anyone. Well, but I, mean, if they, I think the point is that they experiment with it. They might not dislike it as much as they think. I think that's fair. Yeah, but they don't do it. Okay. <laughs> okay? Yes. I, I mean, that's literally what the article says. Okay. You know, right. People had good memories. Some yeah. people did it for a couple times, but they didn't uh, nice. keep it up. Did you have, is, All right. And so uh, the other fun thing, now this was fun yeah. in uh, the science time, right. was dancing may help prevent falls. Mm-hmm. So out of all the things you could do to try to train yourself to maintain a good sense of balance yeah. uh, as the decades wander by, yeah. it turns out dancing is the most effective. Okay, Again, there's a study, and those who engaged in dance-based activities had a 37% reduced risk of falling in eight trials, and a 31% reduced number of falls in a bunch of other studies. Mm-hmm. So dancing's good for you. You know, dancing, I mean, the thing about dancing is uses your mind and your feet mm-hmm. together. So, it, I mean, it really does sound good. They, they did this study using ballroom dancing, folk dancing, line dancing. The other thing is people liked it and people did it. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so... The most important thing for physical activity to have a beneficial effect is that you stick with it lifelong. Uh, So let's do some more dancing. Speaking of that, 
Speaking of someone who uh, had... Uh, you're ahead of me. What? Before we get to that, uh, we, we were going to cover one other thing, which is we saw a movie last night, which uh, we're just going to mention quickly because we were disappointed, so no one else should go down this path. We shouldn't even mention it. All right. Well, I'll mention the name. It was it's unspeakably bad. Friendsgiving. And uh, we actually shelled out dollars to... to we uh, paid for this. Oh, it's... It's, 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 it's humiliating. It is humiliating. But the funny thing is, you actually went back to look at the Times Review, which was positive. And the Times Reviewer, whose name... We will spare this person's reputation by not mentioning their name, actually used the word deft in the review. And if Deft? Yes. D-E-F-T. Yes. If there was one thing this movie wasn't, it wasn't deft. Well, it was about a bunch of people getting together for Thanksgiving, and getting, Friendsgiving, and getting, and getting drunk together. You know what? Like the, this was like an unspeakably bad Hallmark movie. Yeah, Hallmark well, movies it, are better. Yeah, I just this wasn't say, even as good as a sitcom. You're you're being too negative about oh the Hallmark movies. When you, okay, so it was yeah. bad. But here it is Halloween. People are looking for Halloween movies, and the paper has been writing about that. And there was one. I generally don't read that because I don't like horror movies. There was one interesting article in the Times. I haven't seen the movie. I'll just mention it for those people who like this kind of thing. Maybe we will see it. Um, apparently, there is a movie of this sort made by Michael Powell called Peeping Tom. And, of course, Michael Powell is the great director who made some wonderful movies. Uh, the movie we loved, I Know Where I'm Going. Uh, Black Narcissus he made. He made The Red Shoes about the ballet dancer. Uh, he's made some great, he did make some great, great films. And in 1960, he directed this film, which they compare in the New York Times to Psycho. Uh, or as they put it, imagine a Psycho told primarily from the killer's perspective. And they go on to praise it and talk about its influence. I just mentioned it because I've never heard of this film before. It sounds like it's uh, more interesting than your average horror movie. Uh, they mention it's available uh, on the Criterion channel and maybe also on Amazon Prime. If you shell out a few dollars, uh, so it might be worth looking Peeping into. Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom. Yes. Is it anybody famous in it? Uh, you know, is in it uh, Maura Shearer, the woman who was in the red shoes. Oh, is really? in it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, and a few other folks besides. So there you go. Uh, there might be something to look in. Now, you had something about dancing. Our dancer. Well, there's no way to resurrect. That, that wonderful segue. My brilliant segue. Just, uh, you know, uh, Marge Champion, uh, ex-wife and uh, dancing partner of Gower Champion, right. uh, passed away at uh, age 101. That's something right there. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's somebody who probably had uh, a good sense of balance. Apparently, she continued dancing as she aged into her one hundredth year okay and i just want to close with uh, um what her son says she said often that one should celebrate every decade for what it gives you and not for what it takes away and you can see a, a short documentary about her called keep dancing if you like okay that's all, right. all we got. That's well. I think that's. Plenty. I think we better go. Uh, you know, call Pepper <laughs> and wish her some salutations. See what uh, costume they whipped up for. I can. I can guess if she's awake. Yeah. All right. So that's all we've got today. So, this is Tamson Granger and Dan Abuhop. The Tamson and Dan read the paper. We'll check in with you again next week. See ya.